All right. Well, uh, we have a, a question from Denise on Facebook, so it's a it's not a softball question. Oh, you're uh, going to start out with a fastball, huh? That's right. Oh, yes. Oh goodness, what is it? So Denise is asking. She says, "I've been puzzling over the hypostatic union quite a lot lately. Is it true that Jesus had in his two natures, human and divine, that each nature had a separate intellect and will?" Or as a singular person, does he just have one intellect and will? Now that is a question. For, <laughs> oh my goodness! I want. I, I'd like to be in Denise's prayer for a brief moment. You know, if, if that's uh, if that's what her prayer is, Denise is a heavy hitter in the spiritual <laughs> life. If if Denise has any sons, I'd like to talk to them about uh, about seminary. If, if that's the case. Okay, so Denise asks a very theological question. The hypostatic union, first maybe we should define you know, a few terms in case listeners don't know what the hypostatic union is. A Greek term, hypostasis, which means uh, uh, Jesus Christ was both human and divine at the same time. Okay, so was he just a human person? Was he just a divine person? Kind of like the Greek gods, uh, who, you know, they had a lot of half god, half man. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. We call that the hypostatic union, okay? But then she goes on, is it true that Jesus had two natures, human and divine? That is true. That's divine doctrine. But that here's, here's the crux of Denise's question, that uh, each nature, the human, had a separate intellect and will. Now, this is when you're really getting into the weeds of theology. So I want to try to keep this as simple as possible without being coming a heretic myself. Jesus is human nature. Does that have an intellect and a will? And is that separate from his divine nature, having a separate intellect and will? And this is this was like a drag down, uh, a drop down, drag out fight in like the the, four, uh, the fourth and fifth century. They had uh, 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 councils in order to hash this out. The prevailing th- uh, the prevailing idea was monothelism, another Greek term, monothelism, meaning Christ had only one will and intellect. We ultimately uh, define this as a heresy, and we took from it scripture. Uh, the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, Jesus is, is, is suffering the night before, and he's wrestling. Heavenly Father, let this cup pass from me. His, he seems to have kind of, uh, in his human nature, there was a, a struggle with this. Like, I know this suffering that's coming up. I don't want that. But to unite that to his divine will and his divine intellect, that they are separate, but because he's the God-man, they are in perfect unity, okay? So there is a separate intellect, a separate will for his, his human nature and his divine nature. But the, 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 uh, the consoling thing is that they are both in, in perfect unity, okay? They're not, in, they're not in, in tension like that. A similar kind of maybe a, a less uh, difficult issue to, to wrestle with would be like when Jesus was like, uh, like like let's say six years old like to what extent did he know like he was god and could work all these miracles at what point did jesus fully recognize he is god's son was that instantaneous or did that kind of develop and grow that's an a, a question of his intellect to what extent did his human intellect and his divine intellect come together that's still a question that that theologians kind of hassle uh, uh wrestle over 
uh, at, at what point they're fully uh, they're fully uh, uh, together, but they are fully uh, fully united his human intellect and his will, although they are separate entities at the same time. But Denise, my goodness, you you are you are a heavy thinker in the intellectual life. So if that's what what you're wrestling with, good for you. I want to go out for a cup of coffee with you. Wow, yeah. If you have any questions, uh, either uh, more heady or less so than that, we'll take them all. The number to call in is 877-795-0122 in this Straight Talk segment with Father Kyle Metzger. We would love to hear from you. We know you're out there. We know you have questions. This is your chance. We have an opportunity to talk to a priest. I know I have so many questions and I'm, I have to wait a, a month each month to talk to my spiritual director. And some people don't yeah. even have that. Right. And I have like a list of questions that I come in with. So here you have this opportunity right now. You can go on Facebook and ask if you'd prefer it that way, or you can go on our website or um, call us 877-795-0122 and and shoot your questions our way. We uh, are ready to take those. Uh, But in the meantime, what are some other uh, topics we can discuss to get people ready. We can talk about vocations. How about that, Father? Well, I am the vocation director for the Diocese of Fargo, so I'm always ready to uh, to swing the bat at the at the issue of uh, vocations of the priesthood. And, you know, this is kind of a dynamic time, you know, in, in the vocations office because um, the seminarians are finishing up their summer assignments and they're all gearing up to head back to their uh, to their uh, their prospective seminaries. Um, mm-hmm. We're finishing up the applications uh, for uh, for the the seminarians in the diocese of Fargo. We got four new guys who are entering seminary formation, and for our diocese of uh, of about seventy thousand Catholics, that's a, a pretty healthy number. So we're uh, really uh, excited. in In the vocations office, it, it's quite a dynamic position to be because you've got young guys, young men who are. Um, on the cusp of doing something great, you know, with their lives, and they've they've been wrestling with the priesthood, uh, the question of priesthood for a decent amount of time, sub for several years. And so, in my position, I'm 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 the one who gets to finally help them make that that final jump into uh, into seminary formation. And so, at this time of the year, it's it's kind of an exciting time, kind of a, a scary time, you know, doing some uh, entering seminary formation is, is a big step, and it, it comes with a, a certain amount of nerves. But uh, after a lot of prayer, you know, a lot of working with uh, with priests uh, uh, as mentors, um, uh, young men, you know, are discerning. This is what the Lord wants me to do, and how could I uh, how could I say no to the Lord? So it's a, it's an exciting time uh, this time of year to be uh, to be the vocation director. For I sure. want to come back to that because I have a, a thought. But before we get to that, we again, have another question. We do okay. uh, an anonymous. She she's she or he is is not wanting to come forward with a name, but it, we it's we dangerous. got a signal that it might be one of your old teachers. We don't know. <laughs> One of my teachers who <laughs> yes. taught me as a I small boy. <laughs> but uh, the the question is, the three conditions for something to be a mortal sin are grave matter, full consent, and full knowledge. Is knowing the sin is wrong the same as understanding it? Is there a difference? Wow. Okay. So moral theology, we're, we're wading into the issue of moral theology, which was my focus in seminary. So I love oh, questions of, of moral. This is, this is much much better than the dogmatic theology that we just handled with the hypostatic union. For I don't know which teacher this is, but I appreciate the, the, uh, this topic a little bit more. Um, 
This is a, a very uh, 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 important question for the common Catholic, you know, and th- these types of dilemmas come up in confession quite often. You know, people wondering, like, is this sin mortal or not? Um, and as, as this listener, uh, my former teacher, uh, uh, very rightly um, describes, there are three things that have to be present in order for something to be a mortal sin. If any of these three things are not present, it's by definition not a mortal sin. It could be a venial sin. It might not even be a sin. It would be something wrong, something that hurts you but it wouldn't, precisely speaking, be a sin that would need to be confessed. And so, as I said, the first thing is there has to be full knowledge. So you have to know that something is a sin in order to commit it. You can't accidentally, like, oh, I didn't know that was a sin. Well, if you didn't know it was a sin, then it wasn't. Now now you do. <laughs> so if you commit it again, now uh, it, it's a problem. But um, uh, what would be uh, an example I was a, a school teacher, so I, my, all my examples are kind of children. <laughs> Focus on children. You walk into a gymnasium with a with a with a, a, a can of pop, and then later you find out, oh, there was no pop allowed in the gymnasium. You know, well, that wasn't a sin because you didn't know pop wasn't allowed. Now, next time you walk into that gymnasium, you better not bring that pop. But um, but if you don't know something is a sin, it's it's not a sin. So that's the first criteria. The second thing is, uh, you have to fully consent to it. Okay, you have to fully choose on it. Um, you have to fully will it. So you can't be forced into a sin. Okay, it has to be something that you choose to do. Um, so that's the second criteria. Um, and then the third criteria is it has to be uh, grave matter. It has to be something serious. If it's missing the grave matter, um, then uh, 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 then it would just be a venial sin. Okay. So those are the three issues: full knowledge, full consent, and then uh, 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 grave matter would be the three criteria for a mortal sin. If those are all present, then we're in the area of uh, of mortal sin. I can see how that would be something you hear a lot in reconciliation. That makes sense as people are trying to sort through. You know, some people say sin is sin. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. all the same. But logically, that doesn't make sense as a reasoning person. And see, if if you don't have that full understanding of what sin is, it can really kind of corrupt your vision of God. Because Mm -hmm. let's say um, you're not aware that you have to know that it's wrong for it to be a sin. If you don't think that, then God is like lurking in the shadows, ready to catch you and send you to hell for something you don't even know is wrong. And so you're going to have this very kind of uh, uh, nervous vision of God. And I, I, I got it's going to develop into scrupulosity. You're, not, you're going to be terrified of doing anything because God is going to you know, be upset with you. But, but God is not upset with you if you don't know something is wrong. And I think any parent understands this instinctively. You know, when you have a small child, three or four years old, they will kind of, you know, say things or do things that are, you know, they're not appropriate. But the parent doesn't scold that child that says, you know, honey, um, we don't, we, we shouldn't say things like that. You know, it can hurt feel, people's feelings or that's just not appropriate. We shouldn't use words like that. They don't like scold the child. Now, if it continues to do it, right, once they have that knowledge, then it's like, I've talked to you about this. 
okay, and you're still doing it, so now we're going to take a time out. But parents understand that instinctively, and so God, who literally we call Father for a reason, um, he's, he's, he's not going to you know, uh, 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 send us to hell for things that either we didn't know were wrong or things that we didn't choose ourselves or things that aren't, you know, seriously, um, um, seriously wrong. So it, it 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 connects with 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 God as Father. Right, right. Okay. Straight talk. Uh, we would love to hear from your questions uh, from you uh, uh, with your questions. Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. This is Roxanne Solonen, your host today, and we have as a co-host Father Kyle Mitzker, who is also going to be answering any questions that you bring to us. Uh, we talked earlier about vocations, and I want to get back to that because I interviewed you years ago for the little book that you wrote. <laughs> oh goodness! Yes. <laughs> and, asked, and and but it was about the priesthood, and and at the time, even then, even though it was before. McCarrick and all that, things were kind of starting to look, uh, looked a little scary. And, and I said, isn't this a, a hard time to be entering the priesthood? And you were just, wow, your, your answer shocked me. And I was so excited then when you came to my parish as, as a young priest, because you said, no, not at all. Like, this is, this is the time. This is, I'm, you know, you were all fired up. And I'm like, wow. I mean, are you still fired up like that? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're right. The, the, the church is experiencing challenges. It always has. Okay, and when you study church history, you see that a little bit uh, more clearly. Um, but it, it, the church has always experienced challenges, some of them morally, some of them doctrinally, some of them administratively. So, you know, the church has been through a lot in two thousand years. Um, uh, so, studying church history helps helps you get a, a, a more consoling perspective that the Lord always provides. This time is no different. You know, now we're, we're, we're struggling with, with, uh, certain administrative things of, of developing, d uh, church discipline issues with the priesthood and how to form men well, uh, for the priesthood, how to evaluate, you know, seminary candidates well, which is very much part of, uh, my position. But, but the thing that, that gives you great joy and keeps you going forward is knowing that it's about Jesus Christ, right? It's about Jesus Christ and his relationship with you. And I work with young men who are, who, who want to, to serve Jesus Christ well in what he's asking of them. And they are very, um, passionate, very on fire, very excited and to serve Jesus Christ in his church. And I think, you know, mysteriously, dynamically, beautifully, in many ways, it is kind of the, the cross, the tension, the struggles in the church right now that is, is not snuffing out that passion, but in some ways it's fanning it. Because young men who are in seminary now uh, are not part of the problem, and they realize they're part of the solution. Okay, mm -hmm. and part of the solution is for them to take the spiritual life seriously, for them to take sin seriously, for them to take uh, their seminary formation seriously, and the men that um, um, that we have uh, that that I'm in charge of, and I, I'm sure it, it spans uh, dioceses beyond my, uh, the one on my own, is that um, these men are passionate about the priesthood and about passionate about the way forward. So it is a dynamic time for, for, for the, for seminarians studying for the priesthood. And, uh, and I am very encouraged about this upcoming generation of priests that, um, they're pursuing the priesthood in, in a certain amount of adversity. And it's going to raise up a very fervent, a very dynamic, a very holy group 
of men. Not that we don't have dynamic and holy priests now, we certainly do, but I think there is going to be something unique about this upcoming generation of priests, and I see it in our seminarians now, and I think it is precisely because of the struggles that we're in right now, and they uh, and they want to be part of the, the, the solution uh, forward, and ultimately the solution comes from holy men who take the spiritual life um, seriously and are, are passionate about leading people closer to Jesus Christ. And that's what I see in our current seminarians in a very, very dynamic way. Well, that makes sense because um, young people want to improve. They have this desire, this innate desire to improve on what they've seen and try to make it better. And so uh, wonderful that you have that, that perspective. Yeah. We are on Straight Talk this morning on Real Presence Live. This is Roxanne Solonen with Father Kyle Metzger. Call in with your question, 877-795-0122. We're getting a little bit lonely here on our whiteboard. We'd love to hear <laughs> from you, but uh, if, if not, uh, then we'll continue uh, on. And I think it'd be better to actually hear your question rather than rather than ours. But uh, um, on an educational kind of, kind of along the same lines, but a little bit different, how can parents foster the faith in their kids who, who go to public schools? They don't have the chance for mass and things like that that you would in a, in a, a private school. What would you say to that? Yeah. You know, we have, um, um, you know, I, I was, a, I was a, a school teacher in Catholic schools, and so I'm very familiar with that, uh, with that realm. But we also have a number of seminarians who come from public schools. Right, um, that there's a very uh, holy, pious faith that is is fostered in in a myriad of different ways, homeschooling, Catholic schools, but certainly even in in public schools. One thing that I I encourage uh, parents to do is to do well to kind of observe the church calendar, the feasts, the memorials, kind of the celebrations that happen throughout the church year. You know, we have our secular calendar, we have secular holidays, Thanksgiving. Memorial Day, things like that. Memorial Day, I mean, being here in North Dakota, right on the edge of Minnesota, you know, it's always a great time. The family gets together. We go out to the lakes. We shoot off, you know, fireworks on the 4th of July. The summers are, are great times, and we, we really observe that secular calendar. When you observe the church liturgical calendar, too, and highlight those feasts and celebrations, it fosters, you know, kind of a, a piety, a sensitivity, um, in the youth, in the family. Take, for example, when you've got uh, when you've got a feast day. Some of them are really like you know obvious. Christmas and Easter are, are days we do well with that. But some of the smaller feast days, feast days of like let's say the apostles. You know, when you have the June twenty ninth, the feast of uh, of Peter and Paul. This is a, a, a quite a huge holiday in the church. These two these two men who totally set the church on the trajectory of of theology and sanctity. Um, June 29th, that's a huge feast in the church. Um, the family should have a nice dinner on that day, and the kids should have two desserts, right? If you normally have one scoop of ice cream, on June 29th, you should get two scoops of ice cream. But see, a lot of those kind of holidays and, and those things, uh, we, we miss a lot of those opportunities. It provides uh, you know, the family an opportunity to talk about these two saints and, uh, and uh, to share a little bit about their lives. And parents don't have to be worried about, you know, being great scholars or uh, or these um, just kind of your own knowledge and whatnot. Um, at, uh, a lot of the funeral homes in uh, in 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 dioceses will um, will um, give out free calendars at the beginning of the year. 
to their parishes and whatnot. I've seen these like <laughs> across the country. I don't know. It must be a thing of funeral homes will give out calendars. And on these calendars, they have all of the feasts and the memorials, the saints, the, the liturgical colors that are used on these calendars. They're great calendars for a Catholic family. Um, they've got, you know, beautiful. Catholic imagery, I would take those that calendar and use that, display that somewhere in like a prominent spot in the family, um, uh, and and use that to kind of guide um, some of this, you know, the smaller um, feasts and celebrations um, in a family. I think it's it's a small way, but it can have a a big impact on the on the life of the family. Speaking of two saints feast days, we have our Saints San Anjokum, which is my parish here, yeah. and we have our tonight, our, uh, or no, tomorrow night, I'm sorry, Tuesday night, uh, our little picnic that we have every year. I always love highlighting Saints San Anjokum because people were like, what? Jesus had grandparents? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Imagine that. He was a human person, wasn't he? Yeah. So, you know, it, it can be such a catechetical thing to just even do those little celebrations and have people take note of that. It so. is. Too, and that reminds me of something else. Roxanne, like you said, your, your home parish is St. San and Joe, and tonight they have their parish uh, picnic for that. The, the, the actual day was on last Friday, but they're celebrating tonight. Go to that event, right? It seems, it seems obvious, but you know, people have a lot going on in their lives. There's a lot of communities, there's a lot of events, a lot of things going on at school. Children are heavily involved in sports, and so that connection to the, to the, to the home parish is is we're losing that uh, and so uh, to be connected to the parish events to go to the parish festivals to go to the knights of columbus pancake breakfast yeah you could easily go you know out to a restaurant and whatnot but stick around go to the parish hall to participate in some of those parish events form friendships relationships at the parish that's another that's a uh, thing that's very important right all right well we have vicky from duluth on the line so hi vicky Hello. You have a question and for Father I, Kyle? Well, question or affirmation. Um, I grew up a very, very high Anglican and then converted to Roman, you know, decades and decades ago when I was young. And yeah. um, then I left the church for 25 years and became an evangelical. And when I, and then was called back to the church against my will, God, God won. <laughs> And I have loved it, but the quality of the priest that I am seeing today is just so different than what I remember. I, when you were saying that, I, I am so thrilled uh, with the people that are coming into the priesthood that are, that are newer priests and that just from the seminarians that I've met. I, I just have a, a lot of uh, excitement for what I'm seeing. These people, these these men are very excited. They're very on fire for the Lord. They really get it. And yeah. uh, I, that's kind of what was missing when I was growing up. I mean, you, yeah, on fire for the Th Lord would not be what I would describe. Yeah, thanks for that comment, Vicky. And you know, I, I would I would corroborate that, and I would say a lot of that, Vicky, is attributed to seminary formation. It, it, it's very different. Even in the past ten or fifteen years, you, you know, a lot has changed in seminary formation. There's been a lot that's you know tightened up. There's there's been uh, a, a lot of things that have changed, and and men in in seminary formation are getting a very solid, a very orthodox, a very holy. Uh, 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 formation that's that's focused on prayer, that's focused on the sacraments, that's focused on scripture, uh, that's focused on the liturgy, and so I think uh, we're we're starting to see the fruits 
of that uh, of that kind of uh, uh, refocused on 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 good seminary formation. So that's very encouraging. Myself, my ministry is vocation. So that's encouraging, um, uh, uh, Vicky. Now, Vicky, do you have a, a specific question uh, for us? Um, actually, you answered it. You answered it just now. Because I, <laughs> Wonderful. I, I, no, I, was I was wondering what caused this change. We have an incredible priest who's only, he's 34, which is a kid to me, and Father Drew, and he is, he's just incredible. And I, I wondered what has caused this 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 kind of shift and you answered so thank you <laughs> well yeah let me add thank you thank you for that vicky let me add one additional thing uh, as i said earlier when you study church history it really does illuminate so much in the church it gives you actually a lot of consolation all of the major um councils in the church where are are the greatest kind of clarity and whatnot it was come the most all of the councils were 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 begun because of controversy they were begun because of strife, because of like tensions, disagreements, arguments, problems in the church. When Paul is writing to all these churches, the church in Corinth, the church in Colossae, the, the church in Philippi, he was, he was writing to those churches because they had problems. They were bickering. They were fighting. And because of those problems in a mysterious way, we got scripture. Because of those problems, we got church councils and, and, and clarity, growth, order is brought precisely because of the problems. And I think with the priesthood in the the last couple of decades, it falls in the same pattern. You know, the, the, the church, church much doesn't change in this, in this type of regard. And so tragically, what fostered a lot of the reforms in the seminary was 2002, when the, the first instances of, of sexual abuse started to be revealed, mainly focused in, in Boston, but then obviously it spread elsewhere. And it because of that, that 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 tension, that sin, that that controversy, um, church leadership really said, "Well, what's going on? We really need to do some reforms. We need to we need to look into things." And every single seminary in the entire country, and I believe this even went throughout the world, but I, I, I can't speak that for sure. But I know in, in the United States there was a visitation team from the Vatican that visited every single seminary in the United States um, in the wake of of two thousand two, and the week were found in every seminary and they were given their marching orders in to clean this up to fix it and it was successful <laughs> it worked and so me who was in formation after that uh, I saw was 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 reaping the fruits of that and so the 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 the, the courses that were taught in seminary the the uh, the application process to get into seminary was 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 modified uh, the professors were analyzed for their orthodoxy scriptures was looked at the liturgical schedule are you going to mass every day some seminaries didn't have daily mass Okay, and that was just said that it's, it's not acceptable under any terms. So There's daily mass in, in seminary, holy hours, adoration. All these things were looked at with a microscope, and the church benefited from that. And and the seminaries uh, now have, have uh, are are uni universally uh, very orthodox, very solid, very good. And 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 the church now is reaping the benefits. So if you've noticed that in the in the younger priests, uh, Vicky, uh, mysteriously, tragically. Beneficially, that was because of what we went through uh, in the early 2000s. Well, thank you so much, Vicki. It's been a pleasure having you, and you have a great day. Thank you.
All right. We have one more question we'll try to slip in here from a, a listener who uh, isn't on the phone. But uh, in Genesis, we read about Dinah, the daughter of Leah, and how she was defiled. Simeon and Levi go and kill every man in that town, and her other brothers go through that town plundering it. On the one hand, it seems like we should celebrate this defense of their sister. But what about the idea of vengeance? How should we look at this scene and actions that came as a result, just in a short bit of time? <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's a complex question. And unfortunately, there's I can't do it. it justice the book of genesis uh, uh genesis exodus um we see it even more so in the in, in the book of joshua are some of the more difficult passages of scripture when you're dealing with violence particularly the book of joshua when the the israelites are returning to 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 the promised land and so there are you know the, there's a lot of wars and stuff in that and i'm not able to do it justice in 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 just a few minutes here uh, but it, it is a question of, of God's justice, of God's vengeance, and God's like desire to provide for for um, His holy people. So there is there is a rather aggressive form of 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 of, of activity, violence that takes place in these books. Um, um, I think one of the things that's kind of consoling that offers a, a bit of like a tempering of that is one of the Psalms. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is, but uh, what number it is, but God does not rejoice in the death of his people, right? God doesn't rejoice in that. Unfortunately, because of sin, because of the Garden of Eden, death has become a reality and violence strife has become a reality in the human condition. But in the Psalmist, God does not rejoice in the death of even the wicked, even the wicked. And so um, it, these are complicating passages in the scripture and, and they take some time. Oftentimes they take a lot of context. You know, when you just read a passage in isolation, it, you can really easily go astray in it. So you kind of need to read it in the context of the whole the whole passage and sometimes even the context of the whole book. That's like right. the, the book of Joshua. You got to take mm -hmm. that in the whole context of what where the Israelites are coming from, where they're going, what mm -hmm. God wants, what God doesn't want. And so takes a takes a lot of work that's why you can get a doctorate in scripture <laughs> to try to unpack a lot of these these complicated passages okay well thank you so from everyone who called in or wrote in your questions uh, this segment is on 9 30 central every Monday through Friday 